The following podcast is brought to you by Pathways Church. For more information, visit www.pathwayschurch.us. Thanks for joining us for this message from our weekend service. Every week we're hearing stories about how God is moving in people's lives. So if you have a story to share, email us at info at pathwayschurch.us. We'd love to hear from you about how God is working in your life. Hey, good morning. So uh, I spoke a couple of weeks ago, and I shared a little bit of my past, uh, kind of bragged a little bit about my illustrious career as a runway model. Uh, If you were here, I talked about being a runway model for Walmart and making uh, tens of dollars. Thank you. And today, I thought I would begin our series this morning by just sharing another, pulling the curtain back, giving you a little glimpse into some more about my skill sets, because I know that's what you came here for. So if you were wondering, yes, yes, I am a pretty incredible artist as well. doesn't really matter the medium. It could be charcoal, paints, pencil. I'm quite gifted. In fact, a lot of times when I do art pieces, I leave people speechless. And... Uh, And so this morning, I thought I would share one piece of art that I recently did, and I was wondering if you could tell me what this is a depiction of. What is the scene? So here's the piece I did this week. (laughs) Any guesses? What is this? Somebody talk to me. Michael! Michael! Yeah, you're right. I knew. My wife didn't think you guys would be able to guess that. But yeah, this is uh, clearly, you're thinking that's a photo. It's not. I drew that. And then you're wondering if it's for sale. It's not. Yeah, Michael Jordan, 1987 dunk contest. And uh, this is the the inspiration for the photo uh, that I drew. And I wanted to show show that to you because I also wanted to show you another artist's attempt to capture what I captured. Look at this drawing. That, my friends, is a pencil drawing by a hack of an artist named Keegan Hall. Yeah, it's amazing. Keegan Hall decided to draw himself into this picture, too. So you're going to see a video. This is a time-lapse video of his artwork. Now, my piece of artwork took about 10 minutes. Hard to believe, I know. His piece of art took 250 hours. And this time-lapse is him doing this. You might have saw in that opening shot, the bottom right corner, he actually drew himself into the photo at the scorer's table as just a little Easter egg in there. But I'm showing you this because the difference between someone who is a true artiste and then someone who draws like me is staggering. (laughs) They say you can learn to be a good artist by practicing, and I don't think there's any hope for me no matter how much I practice when you see what I draw. But today we're jumping into this three-week series called Gratitude, Restoring the Art of Giving Thanks. And I think the subtitle is spot on. Because growing in this art form of giving gratitude is something that you can get better at if you learn to practice it. And you practice it more than just one day a year when you gather around the turkey and your grandma asks you that question I used to hate when I was a kid, like, name one thing you're thankful for. So we're going to anchor our time together with a, with a posture of saying, God, would you help us to learn how to grow in this art form of being mindful and thankful. So we're going to anchor our time today. If you have your Bibles with you or your version device or whatever, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. This is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica. Paul and Silas go to Thessalonica. They share the gospel. Many people come to faith, and this church is born. 
amazing things are happening, but then there are a lot of people that are not happy about this happening, and so they start a riot. Their intentions are to go to the house where Paul and Silas are, drag them out, try them in jail, or potentially, uh, to, to potentially kill them. And so Paul has to dip in the night. He's hidden, he dips in the night, goes to the next town, and does what he does. He goes to the synagogue, starts preaching, and another church is born. This is captured in Acts 16, 17, if you want the background of where this is captured. So Paul, because he had to flee for his life, ends up writing this letter to these new believers because there were some things he was not able to disciple them in because he had to dip, right? And so he addresses a couple of issues for them, and one of them is the issue of gratitude. But before we look at what Paul says about gratitude and the art of growing and giving thanks, I wanna chat for a second about what gratitude is when you look at scripture. You find this phrase, give thanks, used a couple of different ways in the New Testament. And it all stems from this Greek word. I'm gonna put it on the screen. And it's pronounced, I'm gonna butcher this, eucharistio. I think that's how they say it. If you're like me from the South, you're like, eucharistio. But here's what the phrase, give thanks, actually means. It means to be grateful, to feel grateful, to express gratitude, or to say grace at a meal. Jesus used this phrase multiple times when he performed miracles. For example, the fish and the loaves. It says he took the fish, he took the loaves, he gave thanks for it. That's Eucharistio. He expressed, he gave thanks, he said grace before this miracle was performed. And Paul, in a lot of his letters, uses this phrase. He uses it to recall the faithfulness of the uh, churches that he planted. And he says, I give thanks for you. And then he says things about you and I giving thanks. But when Paul uses this phrase, it's not just grace at a meal. You get the vibe. It's not about having an attitude of gratitude. But it actually implies action and activity and motion. It's something that we participate in. So what Paul is saying when he says that we're to give thanks is, that it's more than a feeling. Okay, anybody listen to Boston? No? I was afraid you were gonna hang me out. Thank you for not hanging me out to dry. He's saying it's more than a feeling. It's actually something that we do. One preacher I heard, he talked about gratitude this way. He said, gratitude expressed indicates joy because of what you've been given. But ingratitude, that's a byproduct of dissatisfaction with what you've been given. So gratitude expresses joy because of what you have. Ingratitude is a byproduct of being unhappy with what you've been given. And nine times out of 10, I think that's probably true for me. When I'm at my grumpiest, most negative attitude in my mental state, whether I'm exhausted by my circumstances or what's going on in our world, our church, our society, it's because my heart and my mind are fixated on what I don't have, what I wish I had, what I perceive as missing, or what I think is just flat out wrong. And I can find that it's way easier for me to express my ingratitude than it is for me to express my gratitude. Way more natural for me to complain about things than it is for me to express gratitude. So as we talk about this this morning, baseline foundational thought, I'm not saying ignore the negative things. La, 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 la. Forget about all the, the dung piles of pain and circumstances that have been dropped into the rose garden of your life. I'm not saying live in a state of denial, but what I am saying is, is that you view the pain, those dung droppings in the rose garden of your heart as something that God 
potentially will use to fertilize and grow and conform and shape your character and so that you don't miss the roses and the beauty and the sunshine because all you see is the problems and the pain because life can be stinky and pain can be real. But gratitude helps us to shift our perspective and our brains need that shifting at times. Our brains are incredible. At least some of your brains are really incredible. I'm just kidding. You're all amazing. But the brain is an amazing organ. If you don't know this, one piece of your brain the size of a grain of sand contains over 100,000 neurons. Your brain is amazing and amazingly capable, but at times your brain is really dumb, at least mine is, and my wife would testify to that. And so we're going to play a little game just to demonstrate this. I'm going to show you a picture And I want you to tell me who this artist is. I'm gonna give you a little hint to get your brain going in the right direction. It's gonna be on the screen. This um, picture that you're gonna see is of an artist. She is a uh, singer. She's from England, and she's really famous. So check the screens out, two seconds. 1,001, 1,002, take it down. Now, tell me, who is that? Perfect. Yeah, that is Adele. Amazing singer-songwriter, busted onto the scene 15 years ago in 2008. Seems like it hasn't been that long, but that just tells you how old I am. Now, did anybody notice something really off about the photo? Some of you did. Some of you might have saw something, and you're like, I don't know what it is, but something don't seem right. The problem is this. Our, our brains are hardwired, at least psychologists say, our brains are hardwired to identify friends and foes and faces and family or, or facial expressions, but there's something that happens that they call the Thatcher effect. The reason they call it the Thatcher effect is because the first photo to be manipulated that way was with uh, the face of Margaret Thatcher. But what they say is our brains struggle to process accurately because of what we're used to seeing. Most of us don't see people upside down, right? Most of us see faces normally, and so we're programmed to see them, and our brain recognizes the pieces, the eyes, the nose, the mouth, and we assume that if we see those pieces, then the rest of the face is accurate uh, until we flip it. I want to show you this photo now up the right side up. You may not have noticed this, but they had flipped the eyes, they had flipped the mouth, and you look at that, and you'd be like, that ain't Adele. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. And this messed me up, not only because it's a really disturbing photo, But what messed me up is that I did not catch that detail when I first looked at the photo. And it makes me think, how many other things does my brain see incorrectly, like that photo example? How many issues in my life are based on a perspective that I've just gotten accustomed seeing? How many many, uh, opinions have I formed about my world and those in my world that may be skewed because my mind isn't really seeing things right. And so the Bible is chock full of information about how we are to have our minds changed, the way we are to think and see this world. And I wonder if that is precisely why. Because God knew that we would be conditioned by the world and by society, and he would need to do something inside our minds to actually change us. So when Paul writes in in Romans 12 that you're to be not conformed to the rest of the way the world sees everything, 
but we're to actually be transformed. He doesn't say you're transformed by attending church, by giving finances, and by doing good works. He says you're transformed by having your mind renewed. Because Gary, your perspective and your opinions can be really wrong because you know why? Your vantage point is wrong. And so in order for you to look more like me, in order for you to to grow and not be conformed, then you've got to have a transformation in your mind. And so Paul, in writing this letter to this church in Thessalonica, he's going to clarify some topics. They have questions about the afterlife. How do they conduct themselves in the world that they live when it comes to life and relationships and purity? And then he signs it off by giving them some really good advice, and that's what we're going to look at for the rest of our morning. In chapter 5, verse 16 to 18, this is what it reads. Paul says, rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So maybe you came in here like I often find myself, and you're going, God, I need a word from you. I need some direction in my life. God, what do you want me to do? I got some stuff going on, and I need some help with. So so what you got for me? Gary, what you got for me today? I got three things for you. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Three ways that you can cultivate gratitude, that you can have a mind shift, that you can practice mindful gratitude is to rejoice, to pray, and to give thanks. That's what you get today. Let's look at the first phrase, verse 16, two words, rejoice always. It is more than plastering on a fake smile and coming in here to get God off your back. You know, sometimes we can think that as long as we come here and we've got a butt in the seat, a tush in the cush, that God is going to be happy, and that just satisfies our obligation because that's what he really cares about, and that's what he really sees. Like, God is coming in here on Sunday morning, taking attendance like the substitute teachers. Hey, hey, Ron here. Hey, hey, Ron is here. Good. No, God actually looks beyond the butt in the seat to the heart to see how we're here and why we're here. Psalms 100 invites us to enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving. Like our posture in coming here, even to gather, is to be rooted and grounded in gratitude. So he starts off by saying, rejoice always. That rejoice always actually is translated, the actual word, uh, the Greek word means to be calmly happy. Again, it's not saccharine sunshine, it's being rooted in being calmly happy, having this hopeful buoyancy in the faithful character of our God, no matter what we're facing. So we can rejoice always because we know who God is. The psalmist, David, in Psalm 27, he writes it this way, I would have despaired and given up unless I had believed and seen the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. But because I've seen the goodness of the Lord, I have this buoyancy. And you know what he follows it up with? Therefore, I can wait, be strong, take courage, and wait. Because waiting is never fun. But when our waiting, when our ability to, to take courage is rooted and knowing that our God is good, then we can have a calm happiness as we go through life and rejoicing always. The second part Verse 16, rejoice always. Verse 17, pray continually. Pray continually is not saying don't ever sleep, don't take a nap this afternoon. He's saying to be persistent in your prayers. 
And don't give up praying just because you don't see the answers playing out the way you hoped they would answer. We want you, Paul's saying, I want you to pray continuous. Be persistent. Don't give up in praying. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. And then he finishes it out by saying what? Rejoice always, pray continuously, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. For me, this can be a really dicey issue. This is where the rubber meets the road. Because how in the world can God expect us to be thankful regardless of our circumstances? Like, that, that's not realistic, is it? Now, granted, we know we can have sometimes first world complaints, right? You're like, oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm supposed to have one gigabyte internet speed and my game is lagging. Uh. And you can complain about things. And you're like, Gary, you're dumb. Just get over it. There are legit things to complain about. But then there are also times where you may be sitting in this room. And you're like, no, I do have some, I've got some heavy stuff, some super heavy stuff that's been knocking on my door. Stuff like not being able to pay my mortgage and having to wonder if I'm going to be able to keep my house. Or getting a phone call from a doctor saying, hey, we saw some things in your scan that don't look normal and we need you to come in and talk to us. Paul is writing to people that are facing really difficult things, just like you may be in here today, feeling the weight of the world, facing some really difficult things. And from an outside perspective, you may feel like you are warranted and just like they may have felt like they were warranted to feel anything but gratitude. When Paul writes earlier in this letter, he says, you guys have received the gospel despite the afflictions that you've been facing, the persecution, the hardship that they've been facing. But he follows it up and he says, hey, rejoice always. Pray continually and give thanks in all circumstances. And for me, if I'm honest with you, when there's stuff going on in my world, this is a page out of my Bible I would love to just tear out. Like, is there a holy whiteout I could use that gets rid of this? Like, Paul must have made some typos in here. He can't realistically mean that I'm supposed to rejoice, that I'm supposed to be able to give thanks in all circumstances. And so if I were to be honest, what I'd like this verse to read, if I were to write my own translation, the GFR translation, I'd like to read you how this scripture be written if I wrote it. This is uh, the GFR, Gary's for real translation. It says, rejoice sometimes, pray when you ain't got no other choice, and give thanks if things finally go right. Like, that's how I really want to function if I'm honest with you in my life. I'll rejoice sometimes, and I'll pray after I've exhausted every other option I have. And I might give thanks if things finally go right, but they rarely do. But that is not what Paul says. That's not what we are called to if we say we want to be followers and not just fans. We're invited to point our sails in a different direction. And notice what Paul challenged Jesus' followers. If you really want to be a follower, look what he challenged them to do. He said, come what may, whatever circumstances you find yourself in this morning, give thanks but don't miss this key context word. He said, give thanks for your circumstances. No, he doesn't. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. There are circumstances that are not great. There are seasons that are 
are not fun, and we're invited, we're invited to give thanks in those situations because when all is said and done, we know that we have a good God who doesn't just do good, but Psalms 100 says he, in fact, his nature, he is good. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And his goodness doesn't swing on the door hinge of our circumstances, on our economics, on our family harmony. They're rooted firmly in who he is, despite what we may find ourselves facing. Some of you know this about me, maybe you don't. Uh, I am also a travel nurse. Um, I've been a nurse for a couple of years. And one of the patients I had the privilege of taking care of, um, he was dying uh, from a really aggressive form of cancer. And uh, when I came in to work that shift, I worked night shift, the day shift nurse was giving me the report and she told me about this guy and she's, she's talking about him a little differently than she had talked about any other patients that we were getting. And she said, I got really emotional taking care of him today and I didn't really dive in a ton on what she was talking about, but I experienced it firsthand as I took care of this guy. I had the privilege of serving him for the next 12 and a half hours on my shift for a couple days. And this cancer had wrecked his body to the point where he knew he only had a couple of weeks left. But he was not afraid. And what struck me is how gratitude just, it seeped out of him. And, it, you know, sometimes people can say things, but you can just get this read that they don't really mean what they're saying. That's not what I had with him. This gratitude that came out of him came from this well that was different than I had seen in other people. He poured out gratitude as he talked about his wife and his, and his family and his kids. He talked about his church and his small group. He's like, Gary, I just, I can't wait to get out of here and uh, go spend the next couple weeks with my family and be reunited with my brothers and sisters that, I, that I've served with, that I've done life with. And I remember asking him at one point, I was like, so tell me about how you process this journey. Like, how do you have gratitude in the middle of this? And he said, Gary, there's one book I read that really challenged me, and it's, it was called Don't Waste Your Cancer by John Piper. And he talked about how this shifted his brain, his mentality about how he was gonna navigate this very uncertain journey all the way to the end. And you know what? Because gratitude was something that just poured out of him, it had an impact on how he saw the world. It had an impact on how he related to those around him. And it really even impacted me. Because gratitude was a heart decision that wasn't based on his prognosis. So growing the art of gratitude for you, it begins between your ears and in your heart and is not dictated by your circumstances. Gratitude and growing in the art of gratitude begins between your ears, and it's not dictated by your circumstances. Because the flip side, people that are ungrateful are typically not peaceful, happy people. It's almost like gratitude and peace can go hand in hand, like they're interconnected, like they have a direct relationship. And I think Paul picks up on this reality when he writes a letter to another group of Christians, the church in Philippi. In the book of Philippians, he says some things to them about how they're to approach every situation, every circumstance, even the most difficult 
anxiety-inducing moments of their lives, they should find their hearts anchored and responding from a place of thanksgiving and gratitude. But why? Why would I do that when it feels so much more natural, really? If we're honest, it feels so much more natural for me to complain and worry because we have so much to complain and worry about. In fact, I could blame God for that and be like, hey, I wouldn't have so much to complain and worry about if you wouldn't give me so much to worry and complain about, and then you would both be happy because you don't want me to worry and complain, so you fix it. That's on you, bro. But Paul in Philippians 4, this is how he pins this in another letter to some people that were facing some anxiety, facing some fears, facing some difficulties. He says, do not be anxious for anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving in your heart, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understandings, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Honest question. How often does anxiety drive you in prayer to simply make your request and make your request and make your request, and then you walk away from that moment of prayer and you find absolutely no peace that's promised in this verse? Sometimes I think that might be because we're missing this step of gratitude of having a a spirit of thankfulness that is anchored in how good our God has been, that is anchored in ways he's been faithful. Paul isn't saying, you know, you don't have the right to ever feel anxious and worried about things. You can have a problem in a circumstance, but when it is brought to him and it's tethered with thanksgiving, when you can call to mind all the ways that God has provided for me, Yes, I have this electric bill that's due and my electricity might get cut off, but God, you have given me electricity and heat right now. You provided the clothes that I'm wearing. You provided the food that I have in this pantry. You have carried me through storm after storm after storm. You provided for my children and I. When this request is made rooted in thanksgiving, then I think it takes some of the sting of the anxiety away and you go, this is just one more thing, actually. This is one more opportunity I can bring to you. And because I'm bringing it to you with this Thanksgiving, call to mind all your faithfulness. It's just one more thing, God, that I trust that you're gonna be on the move in, that you're for me, that you are good, that your intentions are good and you will help me. Does it make the electric bill go away? Uh Uh-uh, it doesn't. But it may change how you navigate this moment of anxiety. And I hate when preachers make everything formulaic, and if you just do this, then God's guaranteed to do that. I am not trying to say that, but what I am saying is as you grow in being rooted and mindful in gratitude, and as that becomes the underpinning of your life, then it does make it, I think, sometimes a little easier to navigate really hard situations because you can call, you're rooted in who God has been for you and what you have experienced and what you have seen and witnessed in your life and in your family, that you have a good father. And as you are able to bring that to him rooted in thankfulness, then you can experience this peace that's illogical at times, peace that transcends understanding that doesn't make sense to you or the people around you when they're like, how are you so peaceful as you walk through this? I I don't know. God's been good. I have this problem, and I I trust that he's going to work the way he has worked in the past. Even as I think about the season that we are walking through as a church, 
I have to ask myself, is my heart and is my attitude rooted and fueled in gratitude, or am I getting swept up into something else that is not rooted in gratitude? I've had a lot of conversations with people in the hallways and around the church, people who are in the midst of this season frustrated and angry and worried, and they feel this way. But for me, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, there's there's some questions, there's some uncertainty, there's some things I'm not comfortable with. There may be even things I'm not happy with. But I call back to 27 years of me being a part of this church community. And I've seen a lot of ups and downs and I've seen people and families come and go and I've found that God has remained faithful to love people through Pathways Church as they come and experience his grace. This church that I call home And so for me, hurt, frustration, uncertainty, those are inevitable when human beings are involved in the picture at any scale and are any of y'all human beings? No? Okay. So what, what becomes important is not what is happening, but sometimes how am I gonna navigate what is happening in my own heart? and in my own mind, because that's what I'm accountable, that's what I'm responsible for working on. And it, it pains me when I see people, I've seen people take a response to say they're gonna fold their arms and I'm gonna step back from serving. Or they fold their arms and say, I'm gonna step back from serving, I'm gonna stop giving because I'm not happy or I'm uncertain about where things are going. When the mission of leading people into a growing relationship has never wavered and has never been based on anything but what Jesus says. It's not a Gary thing. It's not a Nathan thing. It's not an Adam thing. It's a Jesus thing that he has called us to and allows us to participate in. So if you come to this church because of, because of Gary, because of Adam, because of cool lights and cool music, or because of a board position or anything like that, anything that is the foundation for why you come here other than Jesus, then man, you're gonna have problems as life blows and the winds of change happen. But when we're rooted in saying, this is about you, God, and how I can participate with your mission in the Fox Cities to make your fame, your renown known in the lives of kids, in the lives of students, in the lives of our body, I'm here for that. And so, help me to make sure that I am monitoring my heart in gratitude Not that I can't have anxiety, not that I can't have questions, but man, it all is rooted in how you have carried us through difficult seasons, seasons where I was told, Gary, yeah, you're not gonna get your paycheck this week because we don't have money. We don't have money to buy copy paper. But he's been faithful, he's provided, he's carried, he's navigated, and he still has us because he is just that good. So what's the challenge for us today? The challenge is for us to practice mindful gratitude, this art of growing in the habit of giving thanks. And it becomes a habit for us. What if we trained our brains to express thanks and the sentiment of thankfulness on the regular because of what's going on around us or in spite of what's going on around us? Either way, might it do some good for your heart, your soul, and your mind to grow in this art form? I would say yes. I know that is true of me. Because the newsflash here, thankful people are generally happier people. Thankful people are generally happier people. And you're like, duh, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, Gary. Nope, you just have to be a neuroscientist and a psychologist. 
Because study after study after study have talked about the effects of gratitude, not only on your, your, your mindset, but actually on your physiology, on how your body works. Study have shown what the Bible said thousands of years ago is actually true. And it's not about pretending to be happy, but as you practice gratitude, it increases your capacity to have your life change, your mind change, and even your body change. Listen to some of this. Gratitude, they say, actually rewires our brain, kickstarting the production of dopamine and serotonin. Like antidepressants, these feel-good neurotransmitters activate the bliss center of the brain, creating feelings of happiness and contentment. This process appears to be self-perpetuating, meaning the more you practice it, the more it just takes over. And research suggests with regular practice that you'll train your prefrontal cortex to better appreciate and retain positive experiences and thoughts and to deflect negative ones. Your brain, God made it in such a way that it can rewire itself as you practice this, and it becomes this flywheel that generates this, this rewiring of what happens inside of you. Studies provide that practicing gratitude can increase happiness, reduce depression, and strengthen resiliency. Grateful people often experience reduced blood pressure, less chronic pain, and increased energy. People who practice and capture grateful thoughts before bed by studies sleep better than those who do not. So what now, Gary? You're gonna give us a bunch of homework, a bunch of stuff that we gotta do the writer later this week? No, I'm actually gonna give you something that you can do right now, that you can take a time out. You can pause. You can put your phone aside. You can stop thinking about what's coming this afternoon and focus on what Paul challenges us to do this morning, that you would rejoice because you're rooted in the goodness of who he is. Maybe later this afternoon, you can pray continually. God knows you need to pray if the Packers are playing. And you can even now, you can give thanks in every circumstance. Not for them, but in the circumstances you find yourself in. And maybe you came in here today and you're like, I've never even had a relationship with God. I've just been trying to muscle my way through this and it's hard. Well, I want you to know that you can have a partner in life who wants to meet you and transform you and help you and guide you and lead you. The ultimate expression of gratitude, Paul would say in Romans 12, is to surrender, to say, I'm gonna present myself to you. That in light of the cross, in light of the sacrifice that Jesus, because he loved you so much, he would endure so much so that he can make a home for you, that you can respond to that with the ultimate thanks of saying, I wanna make you the Lord of my life. I wanna follow you. And there's no magic prayer you have to pray. In fact, even right now, as you're sitting here, you're watching it line, sitting at home, you just simply need to express from your heart in your own words, the God, I confess and recognize my need for you. And I thank you for dying for me and for forgiving me because I know I'm messed up and I need help. And so you just say in your own words, I'm going to give you control of my life. I'm going to let you be the leader. I want to be the follower, and I want to follow your ways. I want to live differently. And I know that as I do that, you empower me to walk through this life. You can pray those words 
right where you are right now. Because gratitude, gratitude isn't just some pop psychology technique to, to selfishly get what you want or just to make you feel a little bit better, but it's really a call and invitation to give thanks to the creator of what the Bible says is every good gift would come from him. To a God who knows you, who sees you right where you are, however you're feeling and with whatever you're facing. And he knows what's best for you. We began today by looking at the Greek word for giving thanks. I'll put it on the screen again. Eucharistio, to be grateful, to feel grateful, to express gratitude, to say grace at a meal. Anybody recognize maybe a root word in that Greek word? You might see Eucharist. Eucharist is what the church calls Holy Communion, the Lord's table. It's the celebration of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus through communion, and literally it means to give thanks. And Jesus told his followers, he said, I want you guys to do this on repeat. Do you think he might have known something about how the power of gratitude works in telling his disciples this? These disciples who were going to be facing incredible grief and loss, they were going to face persecution and difficulty and being in jail and being beaten and eventually being murdered that Jesus would say, I want you to practice this because by remembering, by pausing and giving thanks, Jesus could meet them in this and restore their souls and set their minds right. So we're gonna do that this morning. And if you came in and you did not receive uh, communion elements that were at the table and you would like to participate with us, they're at tables in the back of the room. Uh, we're gonna pause, we're gonna take a second and reflect on God's faithfulness. So I want to invite you to grab those elements if you don't have them. We're going to pause and give thanks to God. And I ask these guys to, to do a song to facilitate some space for us to do that. And you can approach this a couple different ways. You can check out or you can lean in. You can sit back and watch a beautiful performance or you can participate and let gratitude just kind of stir in your heart as you give thanks to God for who he is and what he's done through his cross and even in your life, and allowing you to be here today when there are a lot of people who haven't been given this opportunity to gather and worship openly and freely. So I want to challenge you to leverage this moment to say thank you, God, for who you are, and then we'll eat and drink together in a moment.